Hello and welcome to a Tuesday episode of the State of the Nova Nation. I'm Eugene Rappé. He's Chris Danziel. Chris, this was a good win this weekend. It was definitely one of those get-right games. It was nice to see the Cats grind one out. They didn't necessarily shoot the ball that well, but after a defensive nightmare against Creighton, it was nice to see Villanova buckle down, show some attitude, grind it out on that end of the floor, and come out with a 68-60 to win. Sometimes you'd rather win ugly then lose, and that's exactly what they did in the second half especially. Yeah, I would rather take a win that is ugly than a loss that is pretty. It was an ugly one, Eugene. A low-scoring affair for the most part. The deep ball wasn't exactly falling for both teams. After everything we said last week about how the defense stinks and the offense is good, the exact opposite happens, which is pretty on par for everything that goes on during the college basketball season. But the fact that they were able to dig deep and get contributions from their two top guys when the rest of the team really wasn't doing much was uh, was nice. It was, a, it was a nice sight to see. All credit to UConn. Seems like each year they've gotten better and better, and Danny Hurley seems to be getting the team going in a positive direction. They were a little bit more tougher than I thought they were going to be, or at least out of the gate. James Booknight looked like James Harden for like the first 10 <laughs> minutes. What was up with that? Yeah, I mean, that was so predictable, though. We- he knew he was going to come out shooting everything and hitting everything. He wanted to make a statement against probably the premier team in the conference right now. And, you know, he had that little game before, a little little bit of a comeback before uh, earlier in the week. And then he just came out, what was it, like six or seven to start or whatever it was. Then he fell on his elbow and you're like, uh-oh, like, obviously, like, you were pretty upset because I wanted to see the guy play. I've been wanting to see this guy play all year and I just haven't, we just haven't had the opportunity, but also if you're a Villanova fan at the same time, you're like, eh, it's probably going to help down the road. And that's exactly what happened because after that injury, it seemed like he just kind of fell off a cliff. After the game though, he said he felt fine, which is why he checked back in. Now, whatever that means, I don't know. Maybe it helped disrupted his rhythm a little bit. I think it did, but I not only that, too. Villanova just put the clamps on him, especially in the second half. He didn't hit a shot until, what, the last minute or so? Yeah, when it was uh, pretty much wrapped up. Yeah, so pretty much that. And UConn wasn't getting much of uh, contributions from any anybody else. I mean, Sonogo inside presented a little bit of a problem that was uh, developing throughout the game. And I'm like, oh, come on. Like, again, (laughs) another big guy inside that we really haven't, you know, highlighted or really seen much of anything from. And then they go off. I mean, it was only eight points, but he, that was probably the only offense they had because, as I mentioned before, their outside shots weren't falling. Tyrese Martin was 0 for 4 from deep. R.J. Cole was 2 of 8 from deep, but one of those threes was pretty much in garbage time at the end of the game. Like, there was just no contributions from anybody else. And if you're a Villanova fan, you're pretty happy with that. I mean, obviously, like, some of the shots were open, but I'd say for the most part, the defense was actually all right. And you know, after everything that happened last week against Creighton, you're, you, you'll take a performance like this, regardless if it's, you know, just UConn bricking them. You, you'll, you'll take just 60 points allowed. Yeah, exactly. Last weekend, we saw against Creighton, Marcus Zagorowski went off, but then they slowed him down a little bit in the second half, and that opened the doors for other players to just kind of pick up where he left off or just take over. This time around, Novo clamped down on book night, and no one else really got going. It was one of the best defensive performances we've seen from the Cats this season, which coming this late in the game after a couple of frustrating losses was very nice to see. They held UConn to just under 30% in the second half overall, just 25% from deep. 
I don't care who you are. You're not going to win a game shooting like that. And that's mm-hmm. all credits to the Villanova defense to shut down Book Knight, shut down everyone else. And throughout the whole game, the second half was definitely apparent, their effort on that side of the floor. But just overall, there was never really a point where UConn felt threatening outside of Book Knight putting together those step-back threes and hitting those insane shots. Yeah, the man's a special talent. It was fun to see him play a little bit, but then also it's like you remember – Wait a second, we're trying to beat you. Please stop. Please put the highlights <laughs> right. away. Please put the highlights away. Right, exactly. We got a little bit of an appetizer with him going off in the first few minutes, but then after that, we, it was it was perfect after that. <laughs> but but with, to UConn's credit, though, that game was – I know you kind of said that the uh, UConn never felt threatening, and I do agree with that, but the scoreboard would say otherwise. That game was – it was like a one-possession, two-possession game for the most part throughout the entire game. And if it wasn't for UConn kind of – screwing up at the foul line early on, oh, especially yes. book night, four of eight. And of course I said, Tyrese Martin stinks at free throws. He goes three for three, but everyone else was, eh. if UConn could have hit their free throws early on, it probably changes the game, not changes the outcome, but it definitely changes the dynamic of the rest of the game. And they probably would have been leading for a good chunk of it too. So they play close and it was not like, you know, Villanova had control of this from, from the start. It was pretty back and forth until a couple of late threes by Nova pulled them away. Yeah, it was pretty close, but I never really had that sense of there was a game-changing run coming from UConn. Right, right. I think that I was, there was not a moment where I was like, oh man, UConn's building some serious momentum now. And especially when Book Knight couldn't get it going anymore in the second half. Kind of like a, a shark smelling blood in the water. You could tell that Villanova was very, very pleased with its defensive hustle. And all shout-outs and, and big credit to Brandon Slater coming off the bench putting the clamps on. We know that this guy has been great on the defensive end, and it was great to see him shut down and lock down one of the better players in the Big East. It was great. You needed a type of performance like that, especially from off the bench. I mean, you know, maybe not so much offensively you didn't contribute, but defensively, like you said, it was just fantastic. I mean, you needed someone to step up, and I don't know what they're going to do now. I'm not saying that one game is going to completely change everything, but like Caleb Daniels only played 12 minutes. He was basically a non-factor that entire game. He took one shot and committed three fouls. That's it. I mean, at this point, like, obviously, I don't think I'd want Slater starting, but like in a situation like this where you have one guy going off, I think you got it. Daniels is the guy out, is the odd man out, and you got to bench him per se, like, I mean, that's kind of a harsh term, but I would just say rest them and put Slater. I've seen that chatter flowing around on Twitter a little bit, and it's interesting to see what Jay will do. I know he loves having his multiple point guards, his multiple facilitators and guys who can just handle the ball, but you can't deny the effort and energy that Slater brought over the weekend and just locking down on book night because that UConn team, I know that they've lost – a little bit while he was gone, but if he was there, this, this is probably we're talking probably just ranked. inside. Yeah, just inside the field of sixty-eight, like top three, top four in the conference. I mean, they were ranked at one point without him. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, Slater played great, and to your point with the energy, like in an empty arena, you can hear the player screams <laughs> a lot more. And oh, he was yeah. uh, he was getting hyped for a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff, forced turnovers. Or even just, you know, a loose ball that maybe, you know, went back to UConn, but like, you know, he forced like an unforced error to kind of just muck it up a little bit. It was fun, especially after his little bit of an offensive outburst, albeit in garbage time against Creighton. Now to follow it up with a superior defensive performance, you know, it's you want to see a little bit more consistency from him. But if you can get these games here and there, you'll take it, obviously. 
but you know, with him being a senior next year and as a late season junior, you want to see a little bit more consistent performance. But as of right now, I mean, I mean, how can you complain? Did that, the dude shut down book night after going off for the first 10 minutes of the game? <laughs> yeah. We know that depth hasn't exactly been Villanova's strength this season, but whenever you have someone coming off the bench and providing quality minutes, yeah, he didn't light up the scoreboard. Yeah. He only took two shots, but I think, his defensive performance alone and the way he shut down book night and what he added to the floor definitely made up for it. And then some most definitely, and you needed to contribute on the defensive end, especially with the, the way the offense was going. And it was uh, outside of the two guys we highlighted, Eugene, it was pretty lackluster. It was pretty balanced though. You had Colin Gillespie with 20 points. Jeremiah Robinson Earl had a 17 point, 11 rebound, double, double, which in, early on in the game, I saw that he was putting the ball on the floor a little bit more, and I was like, all right, I don't know what this is, but I don't know if this <laughs> is in your game. He was, like, losing his hand a little bit. But then yeah. in the second half, he was it was like, oh, okay, so it sounds like Villanova's been working on this for a while. Like, they, they've known that this was – they had this one under wraps, and when he did that nice drive to the basket from midcourt and just kind of – split the UConn defense I was like oh okay yeah. you know what? yeah Giannis Robinson Earl I'll, I'll have more of that I'll have more of that <laughs> hey if that's the uh, secret weapon they want to deploy I mean be my guest because it worked and been highly critical of Jerry the past couple of weeks with his performance and you know outside of a couple of mid-range jumpers that didn't look the best he had a pretty good game I mean like you said the double double too. He, he hit the threes, which is what you haven't seen really from him. The, the shot inside, he's been all right. But, you know, just the mid-range and the deep shots haven't been there. But the deep shot was there against UConn. And he was grabbing boards. And like I said, Whaley was all over the place. Even though he grabbed three boards, he was still pretty active. Tyrese Martin was still providing problems inside. Even for a guard, he grabbed 11 boards. But Jerry pretty much mitigated all everything else. Nice to see him get back on track. And I know we said that about the Marquette game. <laughs> And then he followed up with a dud against Creighton. But you, you're hoping this is just the start of something now because now you got St. John's coming up. They're going to be looking for revenge. And, you know, the whole team really didn't have a good game against them. So maybe you can start getting going here. Get a little bit of a role playing your best basketball into March. That's what you want to see. Yeah, exactly. He did a little bit of everything. And we talked about how this UConn team is feisty on the boards and we saw them crash hard. Granted, they didn't cash in on the second chance opportunities, but he helped clean up the glass a little bit. Jermaine Samuels and Justin Moore each had 11 points apiece. Jermaine Samuels at one point yelling LFG. I won't say what that stands for, but it got me a little hyped, you know, watching it on Saturday to see him going off. Whatever that man shows emotion and excitement. Oh, it's so good. good. Yeah, you got got to create your own energy now, especially without the fans. I mean, that's pretty well known now, but seeing him do it, it's, it's fun. It's fun. Chris, with the win, Villanova moves up to number eight in the polls. The top 10 took a little bit of a shakeup. Granted, the top five still the same. Gonzaga, Baylor, Michigan, Ohio State, Illinois. Side note, that's probably the first time I've seen where the teams hold. Granted, that Michigan-Ohio State game was fantastic, but we've seen some 1-2 battles that were also fantastic. We didn't want to see either of those teams change, but then the losing team gets bumped down a few slots. But here we are, the AP pollsters keeping Michigan and Ohio State the same. At Towards the tail end, the second half of the top 10 is where you start to see some changes. Thanks to Houston losing and Virginia losing, we now have Bama reaching number six. Oklahoma at seven. Villanova has moved up to eight. Iowa and Luca Garza are out now at number nine. And then West Virginia 
is at number 10. Chris, thoughts on the poll? Oh, and one more thing. Crane's at up to 13, but that's it for the biggies. All right. All right. Well, for Creighton, I mean, obviously you want them to lose because you want to win the biggies regular season title, but for a bigger time matchup for the following Wednesday, it's, it's nice to see them creeping up a little bit. Villanova's creeping up, like you said, the eight. But, of course, Bama's six now, so that's that's nice. Hope JQ is uh, doing well down there. I know he is, so I hope they keep it up. For his fans have been highlighting him a lot, I've noticed. Their little yeah. uh, packages on SportsCenter yeah. and things. He's the type of player that the kids want to be with the Jelly Fan and all that stuff. So, yeah, that's pretty interesting. I know Texas lost, so that hurts the win, I guess. And, like, Virginia Tech's kind of holding down low, aren't they? Are they still in the polls? Yeah, they're still hanging in there, number yeah. 16. All right, so that's that's pretty much it. Nothing else uh, too significant, I'd say. Loyola Chicago so moved up one. They're now at number 21. All right. I would like to – Sister <laughs> imagine, Jean. Imagine if we get the uh, the championship that almost was in the tournament this oh, year. Oh, in 2018. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Yeah, that'd be interesting. So, Chris, next up for the Cats tonight, big one against the St. John's Red Storm. We know what happened last time. As much as we wanted to forget about it, that loss stuck into a lot of people's heads, and it clearly shook up Nova as it was going on. This St. John's team, though, since beating Nova, they had all the love from everybody, deservingly so. They had a great stretch where they won six games in a row. They beat Nova. They beat UConn. And then things took a a little bit of a, a quick turn. They lose to Butler in overtime at Hinkle Fieldhouse. They bounce back with a solid win over Xavier. But then, over the weekend, losing to DePaul. And we talk about it. You never, ever want to lose to (laughs) DePaul. Granted, there are the years where it's like, oh, is this the year where DePaul makes an always? Oh, is this DePaul coming up? Oh, look at DePaul. They got some sneaky good players. Oh, they're going to turn some heads this year. Not not so much this year, maybe next year, but you just can't lose to DePaul. They lost by five at home to the Blue Demons, who Villanova is not playing this year, it looks like. Maybe we're – are we ducking them, Chris? No, we're not ducking them. We're not ducking Clearly, them. clearly. I, I'm sure that's a narrative going on on Twitter, though. But uh, uh, yeah. yeah, Chicago fans are very reasonable and rational. W- wouldn't put yeah. it past anybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, the St. John's team, they've lost two of their last three – I'm still scared. <laughs> I'm still scared. Oh, yeah. No, I, how can you not be? I, the whole DePaul loss is just to let Villanova's guard down. And it's like, oh, they lost to DePaul? That's who cares. We got this now. It's at home. You know, this should be should be easy. No, 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 no. Got to take it one game at a time. It's This is going to be problematic, I feel like. Again, I don't know. I I just hope that the coaching staff, and I'm, I'm, I believe that they do, made the necessary adjust has made the necessary adjustments since then to you know establish a game plan where they won't get caught behind the half court line like and five different different possessions. I hope they created offense that has a lot more ball movement this time around and doesn't get stuffed inside and just get the ball taken away from their hands. I hope uh, you know they don't you know, use any hand sanitizer or whatnot so they can keep their hands as firm as possible. <laughs> but don't don't want to lose the ball that much. Obviously, the turnover's got to be at a minimum. And, you know, we kind of glossed over it before with the UConn recap, but Colin backing down in the post kind of worked against UConn. And I know UConn's a completely different team from St. John's, but maybe, I don't know, if that works, you may want to try this out. I don't know. 
maybe possibly i don't think it's the best idea but maybe they'll go to that we'll see you just got to keep posh at bay man you got to keep him at, at bay on defensively and then julian champagne he's still dropping like 20 a night so you gotta gotta watch out for them if it makes you feel better chris ken pom says that St. John's only has a 17% chance of pulling off the upset. For some reason, that feels drastically low. low. Yeah, it, it does. It feels extremely low. I mean, I still think Villanova should be reasonably favored in this game. But, I mean, it, as a fan, it's very easy to kind of get that PTSD from that other Wednesday night game. I mean, at least this one's on a Tuesday at 8. It's not like, you know, I feel like the Wednesday games are just always worse. But it's, you know, Tuesday, 8 o'clock. It's, it's still PTSD from them. Posh is going to just live in my head for the rest of the year. Something tells me that Nova is going to look a lot better this time around. But also, compared to the last time they played St. John's, I don't think it'll be very hard to look better than that. We've said yeah. it before, Chris. And, you know, there were some ugly games during the time we've had this show, during the time we've had this podcast. But I think that first meeting against St. John's during our five-year run in this audio podcast format. That was probably the first time where you can look at that game and just go, they look lost. Now, the Oklahoma blowout and the first Creighton, the first two Creighton games with Doug McDermott and Ethan Raggy, that came just before we started the show. So that doesn't mm-hmm. count. But <laughs> just – they looked like they couldn't even execute simple things. They just looked frazzled from the start. I don't. I would like to think that this time around they're not going to get caught off guard by that pace, by that forty minutes of hell. And I hope that they're going to look a lot more prepared to take that press on because that thing was relentless. And all credits to St. John's yeah. last time out. They just completely ex- out-executed Nova in every single facet of the game. This time around, though, I think we're going to see a closer rumble. Yeah. I- I happen to agree. I mean, when you, they last faced St. John's, and to be fair to Villanova, I mean, it was their fourth game out of the COVID pause. So, I mean, you could be factoring in, you know, fatigue and all that stuff. They just played that Saturday, all that stuff, blah, blah, blah. And it's like kind of a quick turnaround after being off for so long. So I guess you could have factored that in. And the fact that, you know, maybe they hadn't really seen pressure like that all year. But now that they did, you would hope, like I said earlier, that the coaching staff would be able to make the adjustments and now the players should be able to execute. You've now played four games since then. So you're going to have, you just had a week off. You had the one game on Saturday against UConn. Tuesday game should be relatively fresh, all things considered. You should know what St. John's is going to bring now. This shouldn't, you shouldn't be caught off guard. To your point about them being lost, I agree. It was I really think it was just because they were caught off guard. They just weren't expecting that type of game from St. John's uh, defensively and pressure wise. But now you know what's coming. And unless St. John's throws their complete defensive playbook out of the window, <laughs> you're, you're probably going to get the same type of scheme. So as a result, you should be able to execute against it and game plan against it. And as a result should win. It's at home against an inferior opponent should be able to take care of business, especially when you're number eight in the country. Yeah, Villanova's game plan the first time around definitely seemed very lacking. No one was able to really get it going. There wasn't anyone I could point to and go, yeah, they had a great game. I think technically Jerry might have had a double-double. I might have to double-check the stats there. But other than that, between the turnovers, between just having a tough time getting the ball past midcourt, three or four guys on the floor unsure of what to do. And as a result, St. John's just seemed always a step ahead of them or – 
a step too quick in order to pop into passing lanes and force turnovers. I'm hoping Villanova will be better this time around. I'd like to see some of the forwards, some of the guards have some better decision-making. Like you said, Chris, I think now that they've seen it once, they should know what to expect. I'm sure the coaches have been working hard to develop a much better game plan than they showed the first time out. But this St. John's team, Julian Champagne, leading scorer in the Big East, Posh Alexander, the leading steals maker, creator in the Big East. And not only that, just a bunch of talented and athletic, quick guards and forwards that just fly and buy into Mike Anderson right now. Sure, it's it's a little bit of a rough patch, losing two out of the last three, and I'm sure they want to bolster their NCAA tournament resume. They're currently a bubble team, I believe. So nothing does it better than beating Nova and sweeping them in the regular season. Chris, what is the one thing that you think Villanova should do better this time around? It's got to be breaking the press, don't you think? Or at least breaking the press slash not committing turnovers. And like I say a couple of times a year, that, that is a lot easier said than done. How many times did they turn the ball over that game? What was it like? It was 17, 18 times, somewhere up there. Yeah, which worst, is just an worst all year. inordinate amount for this team. So if you keep control of the ball, you should be you should be fine. I mean, how many points did St. John score off those turnovers? It was an insane amount, insane amount. And you dropped, you only put up 59 against them last time because you never, you didn't even have a chance to score against them. Now, obviously, they didn't look all the best against UConn offensively. So now up against a good defensive team like St. John's might be a recipe for disaster in back-to-back games. However, I still think they have the horses to get it done and they need Colin to step up because he had probably the worst game of his Villanova career against St. John's a couple of weeks ago with all those turnovers and horrible shooting performance. So if he can knock some down, control, control the ball, I think they'll be in perfect shape. Yeah, ball control will definitely be a key. Villanova's lack of turnovers has been one of their strengths this season, and to see them struggle in that department against St. John's, you knew right, off, right out of the gate it was going to be a problem, especially when your lead point guard was struggling with turnovers, an uncharacteristic amount for him and also the whole team. Bringing the press will definitely be key. You look at last year, Villanova, as much as they love to slow the ball down a little bit, when they beat St. John's, who still had the 40 minutes of hell mindset, granted they didn't have Posh Alexander and Julian Champagne was still pretty young. It's a better team this year, no doubt. But Villanova was just so aggressive. They didn't, they weren't scared, they weren't tentative. It looked like since they were frazzled, they were thinking too much. And then as a result, St. John's was just jumping all over their bad decisions or forcing them to make bad decisions. You saw Sadiq Bay last year just take it straight to them, cut through the lane, attack and transition, feast with numbers. And against St. John's last time out, Villanova had numbers a few times, three on two or two on ones. And they just kind of sat back and wanted to reset and go into the run the half court sets that sometimes it worked, but for the most part, it didn't. I'd like to see Villanova show some calm, show some poise, show some composure, break that press, attack when you have numbers, feast and transition when you can. But for the most part, cut down on those turnovers and let's try to get a repeat of that defensive performance that we saw against UConn. A very different team from the Huskies. I think that this is probably one of the fastest running teams in college basketball, no doubt. So it'll be a little bit different, 
but there are some key things that can transition over providing that energy and effort on defense, taking care of the ball and not being afraid to do what you got to do and play some Villanova basketball. We'll see. We'll see. Big game tonight. Chris, predictions. I think Villanova limits the turnovers. They look a lot better than the last time, and they surprise us with a actually a double-digit win. Oh, I say, wow. Yeah. Uh, 72 to 62. I think Nova wins maybe by eight. I don't know if I want to say double digits yet. I think Colin Gillespie will have a big bounce-back performance against the Johnnies to make up for his first time out, cuts down those turnovers, and helps facilitate and keep Nova going and get that revenge on the Red Star. We haven't been swept by a Big East opponent since 2017. I'm hoping that we don't get another one this year. Yeah, hope not. It's funny what a difference a week makes, Eugene. I think uh, I think Thursday's episode, I think we were saying that they are going to lose the St. John's game when we were going through the schedule for the rest of the year. And now we're predicting 8-10 to 10 point wins. Oh, no, I said that they were losing the random ones at Hinkle Fieldhouse and then at the dunk. <laughs> oh, yeah, you did, you did. You did say both road losses, my bad. I think I, I was the one who said St. John's one was going to give them a lot to handle. It shows what a one win can do with a little time off removed from a loss. And I was also going to add this caveat how it's interesting. We've had these games this year, especially where Nova comes off of a shaky performance or a loss and you think, oh, my God, what's going on? And then they get you into that sense of comfort and security with a big bounce back, whether it's, you know, a dominant win, a dominant performance in some area of the game. And after looking horrible defensively against Creighton, they look like, Lockdown Memphis Grizzly grindhouse guys <laughs> <laughs> over the weekend against UConn. And now you think, all right, does this mean the defense is fixed? I really hope so. I really hope that I'm uh, not being, I, I really hope I'm not being lent to this false sense of security. It's probably what's going to happen. That's what usually, that's what usually happens following a trend. Yeah, I hope not. I hope not. But I think Villanova should win. We'll check out tonight, 8 p.m. tip off. CBS Sports Network. No. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why? I don't know, man. Why 8 o'clock? There's no fans. Just start the game at like 6. Every I game should, should just start 6, 7 o'clock. We should have just gotten this on Fox something. Get Bill and Gus back. Oh, that was beautiful to hear them again. I feel like oh, that was, was the first one this season. It, it was, yeah. Because I remember I wanted them for the Creighton game last week, but they were doing the Big Ten game that week, whatever it was. Yeah, nice to hear them back, back where they belong. Hopefully we get them for the Creighton game next week. Yeah, amen to that. So everyone bring out those channel guides. You're going to need to find CBS Sports Network. We'll be on tonight, 8 p.m. tip-off, Eastern time. Let's go, Cats. Let's beat the Johnnies. And hopefully keep on building that momentum and get another nice quality win. All right, Nova Nation, so we slacked off, or I slacked off on the mailbag last time out, but here we are this time. Put out the tweet on time. So we got some questions today. Chris, are you ready? Let's do it. All right, first question from Trey Hoffner. Slater did a fantastic job with limiting Book Knight and locking down the perimeter of this game. I think he should get the starting spot over Daniels if we are to improve our three-point defense. Thoughts? I think Trey was looking at our outline. He hacked a Google Doc. <laughs> Chris, you were talking about a little bit earlier in the show, but do you think yeah. that we're at the point now where Slater should probably get the starting spot over Daniels? I don't know. I, I don't know if you really want to upset the apple cart there and kind of 
mess with the mojo, although the mojo hasn't exactly been the best the past couple of weeks, and Caleb Daniels has kind of been a little subpar recently. But I, I like Slater's role off the bench. I, I think there's something to be said about a guy who could come off the bench and lock down any player in the Big East. And just, you know, maybe a defensive Dante in that sense. You know, Dante was the sixth man, obviously, in 17-18, came off the bench, did great offensively. And then maybe you can do that with Slater, but on the defensive side. So I think he should definitely be getting more minutes than Daniels at this point, but I don't know if starting him is, like, the best idea. Maybe if you want to try it, like, be my guest. I still think it's a little late in the season to try that, but, I mean, I'd like him coming off the bench and doing what he does. Whether he starts or doesn't, I think he should still get more minutes than Daniels at this point if he's going to play like that. Yeah, I think Daniels overall is the better player, but right now, since that COVID pause, hasn't been his best, and he's been struggling on both ends of the floor. Uh, You mentioned it, Chris, against UConn, he was virtually a a non-factor, had had the fouls, but he only took one shot, hasn't really been scoring too much since the break. I don't know, man, against St. John's, I, I think we might rock the boat a little bit, and let's see if we can get Daniels going off the bench. Hopefully, you know, give him a little spark, like when they realized Jamal Crawford was better off the bench than in the starting lineup for some reason. I don't know what it is. I guess it's like a mentality thing for right. for Jamal Crawford, but maybe we can kind of do the same here with Daniels. But the, the reason being is against a high-flying, fast-moving, quick, athletic St. John's team, I think we're, we're going to need the athleticism, the quickness, and the speed that Slater can provide to rival that fast-paced run that St. John's is going to do tonight. So I'd say let, let's give it a try. Let's see what he can do defensively, but also just adding that athleticism to rival and match what St. John's can do. And hopefully Caleb Daniels can come off the bench, drop 15 or something. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I didn't even think of it like in the reverse way. Like maybe that could like jostle Caleb Daniels to like perform a little bit better at the same time. The other thing too is remember Villanova. It's only starters by name. We got six starters here. We got six starters. Right, yeah, that's what I was uh, kind of alluding to with the whole Dante thing. Yeah. It, it, I still think, like I said, Slater should be getting more minutes, but the whole starting thing, I don't know. As long as, as, long as he's playing more, I, I think it's fine. Next question is from David Letts. I'm hoping you can address this. Are we really a top 15 team? We seem to sweat out games against non-ranked teams, and while we beat Texas, it was early in the season. We barely beat an unranked UConn. And we took a bad beating with Creighton and St. John's. Thoughts? This is Oof. a great question. Mm-hmm. Well, the real Villanova, please stand up. And that's what David Letts wants to know. Chris, is Villanova really a top 15 team? Well, I think when you look at the rest of the country, I think <laughs> they, they are. And I just think there's just because there's not as many good, good to great teams anymore. That being said, like when they were number three in the country, I was like, yeah, that's a little high. Even that eight, it's like a, a little trepidatious. I, I think somewhere in like the seven to 12 range makes sense. And that puts them in the top 15 per se. So if you really want to get technical, I guess top 10. But it just seems that there's something missing. I don't know what it is. It just seems like there's – I wish I could pinpoint it. I wish – I'm sure the coaches are probably going – and losing their minds through it, but it just seems like something's missing. I don't know. I don't know. It just 
it seems like one day, like the offense is great and the defense is completely awful. Then the reverse happens. It just ha- they haven't really put together a complete game in a while. I know earlier in the year, I think we kind of said it that they were, but since Biggie's play started, it's, it's kind of been a little hit or miss outside of the Marquette game. So I, I really hope that whatever is missing, they can kind of get and they'll be able to find here in late February, early March. But to, uh, the question, they are a tip, top 15 team, but I don't think they're top five right now. Yeah, it's tough because when you look at how Villanova was playing before the COVID pause, I would have said that, wow, this team is really starting to hit its pinnacle. It's really starting to just hit that next gear. And then the COVID pause happened. And then Villanova hasn't exactly looked at the form as they were in December when they're reaching that point. I do agree with you, Chris. I would say this team definitely feels top 15. Now, top five, not right now. Maybe earlier in the year, I'd say so, but not right now. As for the parts for Villanova getting smacked by St. John's and Creighton, I'm hoping Villanova can correct that tonight. However, we have seen these random February slumps before, which kind of cast the doubt on this team a little bit. Like you look at 2018 when they won the national championship, they got caught sleeping by St. John's at home. They lost to Providence and then they lost to Creighton overtime. And then they went up against Seton Hall and barely sweat one out in overtime one by one. And that was all in the month of February in 2018. And I'm sure Chris, We're going to have to look back at the tapes, but we were probably freaking out about the legitimacy of this team. I think we were. Especially, I think the worst was after the Seton Hall game. A game that they won. (laughs) We were like, this is their their screw from here on out. Yeah, and then you go into the Big East tournament. They won. They had some overtime dramatics in the title game against Providence. Heck of a game. But then they went into the NCAA tournament, and then they just steamrolled everybody, bulldozed them, and then all was right in the world. Now, uh, with everything being the way it is, I you know is this part where the March Madness committee goes with their quote unquote eye test and go, wow, the Big East is a lot better than it probably is. I mean, look at UConn; they were without their star player for a while. They were ranked at one point, but to lose your top player, top scorer for about three to five weeks, I think it was. That was tough on them. St. John's was on the rise for a little bit. Granted, they tempered themselves. And Crane's always been in the top 25, top 20 conversation this whole year. So wasn't exactly, I mean, yeah, it, it was horrible losing to them, but hmm. I think Villanova's still in that top 15 conversation. Yeah, for sure. And I think in the question it said, like, barely beating, like, the bad teams. And I get I get that. I I, I do get that. Like, you kind of want to see, like, a good team wouldn't be struggling, you know, like midweek against a inferior opponent, they'd be blowing them out. Like that's what you want to see. But then you do look at past teams and you're like, oh yeah, that 17-18 team, a team that we view as basically invincible, was sweating out games left and right in February. So yeah. I mean I, I get I get in the moment. I get it in the moment, but when you kind of step back from the ledge a bit and you're like, all right, you know, sometimes <laughs> sometimes it, it, you don't beat every team by double digits at night in and night out. It's a long season. And that's the way it's got to be. Yeah, and if you look at the year before that, Chris, I remember when Villanova barely swept one out against DePaul. And do you remember when we lost our minds? That I remember. Yes. We <laughs> lost our minds on the show. Yes. Yes. First game of Big East play, they barely beat DePaul by a bucket. And then 
you know, you, you had like Brendan Riley and Chris Lane telling us, look, it's not the end of the world. Just like sit back and look at the bigger picture. And then it's like, oh, you know what? Yeah. Yeah, they're right. They're right. We, we've learned from those days. We've learned from right. those days to just kind of sit back and enjoy the bigger picture. Now, granted, are there some deficiencies and holes on this team right now? Yes. Yeah. No yeah. doubt about that. Mm-hmm. But right now we're going to have to wait and see where this team goes over the next couple of weeks. The Saint, starting with the St. John's game tonight, that'll be a very big indicator of growth. And the next question is from John Paul May. His first one is, what was the bigger factor in the shutdown of Book Knight in the second half? Better Villanova defense or just him getting gassed after missing conditioning during injury? I think it was Villanova defense. You had Villanova forcing him to turn the ball over five times. He couldn't hit a single shot. He was one for ten until a garbage time three. I would definitely give it to Villanova defense. If you want to divvy it up, I'd say it's like 80% Villanova defense and then 20% he just seemed off after he fell. <laughs> I, I, think, I, I don't know why he just kind of fell out of place like that. And maybe that was just the moment where Jay's like, all right, Slater, uh, Slater go, go get him. <laughs> and he did put him in his hip pocket the whole game. So, yeah, I, I think mo- majority of it was – Brandon Slater's defense and just Villanova's defense in general. But after that fall, it was pretty apparent. He just wasn't the same. I know he came back in, but he was off. And the next one from John, what is the chance that double Pumperoo enters the regular Raftery lexicon? P.S. Loved having him and Gus back. Oh, yeah, it was great. Like we said before, it was great to have Gus and Bill back virtually <laughs> in the building. Virtually in the building. Right. But it was, it was just awesome to hear their voices over the broadcast. Definitely had the volume up. First time in a while. Yeah, the volume up for those kinds of guys, but you put the volume down for, like, Dick Vitale. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of any other college basketball crews, and it's, they're all okay, but Vitale's pretty much insufferable. Yeah, Vitale and anyone who pronounces Mikhail Bridges as Michael Bridges. Michael. Michael, Michael Bridges. What is that? Who is that? And it's entered the NBA now, but... Pascal is now Pascal. And I know, Eugene, that's a big contention with you. That's uh that's unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. It's like uh I don't I don't know, man. I don't know. The chance that double pump rue enters regular raftery lexicon, I, I like it. I like it. I think you know you always have to add new terms and and things to your sayings to keep things fresh. And I'd like to see a double pump rue in there. Any Rafferty term just should just be automatically like in the lexicon of like basketball for like the rest of the time, just hearing him say getting those puppies squared. is just like, it's just so awesome. Puts you right into like that March feel. It, it, it's so great. Like this guy hasn't played college basketball. He graduated seven years ago, I believe, but Scoochie Smith from Dayton. Like, I remember he said <laughs> after he had this like big play, he just like yells into the microphone, Scoochie Coochie Coo. And I was like, I just started dying laughing. That was like one of the greatest things I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> <laughs> that is wow that's that's great i gotta find a clip of that uh, yeah if it exists yeah he was like scoochie smith again scoochie coochie coo was that yeah. during the tournament a few years ago it was yeah it was yeah. it was i think it was what, 2014 i believe that was during the yeah, yeah. run yeah mm-hmm. so good so good yeah. i think the most underrated moment from him in the past couple of years was during the 2018 national championship game the, remember when Dante went up for the block and it like the ball got stuck in between the rim yeah. and the backboard and Rafferty just goes, 
if uh, if you have a good tailor, that doesn't happen. And nobody caught it. And I, I just thought it was freaking hilarious. <laughs> the wedgie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, that is so brilliant. Like, we sh- that should be highlighted more. No one, no one made mention of it. It went right over Jim Nance's head, and I was like, "So, so sad." If Gus was there, he would have, he would have gotten it. He gotten Gus would have loved every bit of it. You got to protect those two at all costs. I don't <laughs> care if they have to announce in a in a legit bubble like Bubble Boy. So just put them, put them in, and go from there. Next set of questions is from our guy Jared Quinn. It's the first one: We made fewer threes on Saturday than our season average, and still beat UConn. Are we still going to rely on the three point shot to win? No doubt. No doubt. This is shoot them up, sleep in the streets. Definitely. There's no way they delineate from that game plan. It just so happened that the defense was above average, and they were able to win because of that. Yeah, there's been a few games in the past where the threes didn't drop and Nova had to scrape or attitude its way to a win, and I think Saturday was just one of those examples, but there's no way. As long as Jay Wright's the head coach and as long as shoot them up, sleep in the streets is somewhere in the Davis Center, there's no way. No way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Second one from Jerry. Can Daniels get back to his pre-COVID form before the season ends? This is a great question. I'm still very high on Daniels. I know that this is a rough slump for him. It's been pretty tough since we got out of this COVID pause and the Cats went back on the court. He hasn't been too great. I'm still confident that he can get back to it. I think it's nothing more than a slump, and I really hope he starts to turn it on for March. Yeah, they kind of need him to, don't they? I mean, this there always seems to be a lack of secondary scoring. It's either one or two people kind of taking over. And Caleb Daniels would be the perfect complimentary piece. I've been saying it all year. I even, in the beginning of the year, I had him as my bold prediction to be the team MVP, which is not turning out so hot right now. But still a lot of basketball to be played. And, you know, you know he's too talented to not do well. Like, just, it, just like the 0 for 1 with three fouls. Like, that's just not him. You can tell. So you know, I'm sure he's going to want to go right back out there and show that he's not that type of player. Yeah, and I've seen some chatter or some pundits go like, oh, is Caleb Daniels a bust? I don't think so. I, I really don't think so. I don't think that's the case. You just look at what he did at Tulane as a one-man army and his last season there. You look at the box scores. You look at the stats. He was the literal definition of a one-man army, did everything for that team, and then some just didn't drive the bus or coach the team. This guy, I think, is the real deal. We saw it earlier in the season. I thought he was solid in the 2K Classic. I liked what he did before the COVID pause. It's just it's just a rough slump right now. I don't think it's anything more than that. And I'm still confident that he can get back to that pre-COVID form. and ho- Or hopefully even better than that. And then the last one from Jerry is, what's your favorite Villanova uniform? Oh, no doubt. 1985 throwbacks, blue or white. Take your pick. First ballot Hall of Fame jersey. A hundred percent. It's the 85 throwbacks. hundred percent. I would like to see the 90s throwbacks kind of broken out just for like a novelty experience. I like, <laughs> just with the one with time. The just one time. Yeah, one time. It would be nice. And everyone on the back, everyone's name on the back is just Kittles 30. Just, just, just that. <laughs> that'd be nice. But yeah, it's, it's the 85 throwbacks. And the ones they wore this weekend. I, I like them. I, I know we had this, this it's, debate. Yeah, it's, I'm, it, I'm not a fan of Michigan light, but I will say that quarter zip that Jay had on was fresh. Nice. I want that. I don't I don't care. How, uh, it's probably $80 in the bookstore. I, I want that, though. It looks so <laughs> nice. It looks so clean. If it is in the bookstore. They still haven't even sold the 85 jerseys yet. I mean, come on. 
They had that one company selling the shorts, not the yeah, jerseys, though. We need the jerseys. We need the jerseys. The one thing, though, say what you will about the jerseys, though, you know, like you said, the the gear, the complimentary gear always seems to be on the mark, especially that 60s, 70s throwback look. I love it. I would like to see the 90s. You know, I, I always forget about them, especially since they started getting a little creative with their jerseys last year. But, yeah, we should. Why not? Let's bring back right. the 90s. One, one time. One time. Right. I mean, it's not a particularly clean look, which is no. kind of what they've gotten with the uh, the other ones the, the, the past couple of years. But for God's sakes, this, this team featured a jersey that just had a giant V on the front for one year. Yeah, let's, the let's... block V, the practice jersey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we can we can try it out the nine jerseys just just for a night. And I saw Josh Hart wearing these crazy Pelican alternates with the you know the the fleur de lis, I don't know, fleur de lis, yeah, is that how you say it? Yeah. 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 The, the Saints logo, <laughs> the New yeah, Orleans yeah. logo <laughs> uh, on the jerseys. And I was like, all right, this is a little wacky, but you know what? I, I like it. It's different. It's different. Let's get something different. Let's get the 90s back. I, I like it. Love it. And, and I feel like during this pandemic, nostalgia, all-time high. All-time high. Might as well bring out the 90s. It would certainly cater to that for sure. The 90s seem to be a forget, forgotten decade or at least a blind spot for at least you know people our age it just seems like to, it's like oh it's all about the 80s and then oh yeah i forgot the 90s kind of happened oh yeah no it's like what carrie kittles alvin williams michael bradley and it's like all right that's all you need to know that's all you need yeah, to know, need to know. <laughs> <laughs> they, they might have won the nit in there we're, we're not sure it didn't banner somewhere <laughs> That's a good point, though, Chris. Yeah, I remember orientation and all that. It was always all about 85, and it was all about 09. And then Jay Wright's great, and Raleigh's great. But whoa, what about the what about, what about in between? Yeah, I mean, those 90 teams, despite the uh, March shortcomings, they were, they were still pretty good. <laughs> they were still pretty good. I would like to see more 85 throwbacks this year, though. They've been leaning a lot on the 71 or the 70s one. Yeah, I mean, it's... I, mean, I get, I get that you got to do the rotation and whatnot, but yeah, I think for postseason time, you got to break up to eighty-five jerseys. Everybody knows Villanova's win percentage is probably ninety-nine point nine in the eighty-five throwbacks. Through the roof. Next set of questions is from Matt Berger. His first one: Are you concerned that Antoine and or Daniels may transfer next season? It's odd that neither gets any time whatsoever. Not sure if he was thinking of someone else, but Caleb's in the starting five, so I don't think he's going to transfer. And he's already transferred once, so I feel like he wouldn't, after, especially after having to sit out last year. But Antoine, I've seen this a little bit. Some people think that he might transfer. Chris, what do you think? Do you think Antoine stays or goes? Uh, I think he would stay. I don't see why he would transfer unless there's going to be somebody that's going to completely push him out of the program. <laughs> I mean, the dude's been hurt. I mean, what do you? I, I, I think in agreement with that i think it's kind of a mutual understanding that he's just not going to be able to play because he's just been hurt and isn't ready to play don't, don't you think or am i out of balance saying that no i think no I, I totally agree with you but i guess you know is there a, what percent would you say you're concerned that he might leave less than five <laughs> I, I didn't even think that was on the table is that just what we go to now when someone doesn't play? <laughs> Ever since JQ, it was like, yeah, yeah. When, when's it going to be? When's it going to be? 
Right. I mean, the JQ thing made sense for him transferring. Though. I mean, you had the whole drama. Yeah, there were. Yeah, there was a lot of other things going on off the court. Yeah. Right. And he wasn't. He was never hurt during the year. As much as we wanted him to play, it just wasn't happening. No. But Antoine, there's a valid excuse why he's playing, and it's because he's hurt. And I bet if he didn't even get hurt his freshman year, he'd probably be playing legitimate minutes. Oh, no so, doubt. Especially, uh, I mean, look at our lineup and bench right now. What is it, like a two-man, three-man bench? Two-man, pretty much? Yeah. It's two now because Eric Dixon just seemed to fall. Disappeared? Yeah. yeah. Got put in the witness protection program. So, uh, yeah, I'm not concerned. He transfers, and unless Caleb Daniels be- plans on becoming the second coming of Dylan Ennis, I don't think he transfers either. So, I think in the COVID-shortened season with not a lot of practice time and not a lot of – uh, time to kind of get acclimated to the system albeit it is deep into the season but it it just doesn't make just doesn't seem like me. no no I, yeah i don't think it really fits either of those guys i will say if maybe the ncaa next year is like we're gonna ditch the whole sit out for one year policy then maybe antoine goes and says hey i want a fresh start but i i doubt it i don't think so no. not too concerned if that happens, you might actually see colleges trading players. <laughs> uh, players calling each other, recruiting each other, forming super teams. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> Dave Villas's worst nightmare. Oh, God. That would be that'd be something. What do you think Antoine Daniels and a scholarship could get? <laughs> do, you, do, you think, do you think it could convince Cade Cunningham to come back? <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, I'm just, just saying. And Matt's second question is, any update on a return date for Cosby Roundtree at all for the season? Still no update. It's still indefinite. And as we know, indefinite usually means at least a couple months. Yeah. <laughs> never, never a good sign when it's indefinite. Yeah, so at this point, I severely doubt he comes back. If he does, it'd be a great story, but. Oh, it would be an amazing story. You know, comes back, maybe puts some quality minutes off the bench or has a big play at the Big East tournament or some NCAA tournament game. That'd be amazing. I just don't I just don't think it'd happen. Between conditioning and all the time he's missed, I don't think they would rush him if he's if he's even able to come. And Chris, the last question is from Yo It's Bob, Rob Anselm. He wants to know when everything reopens. What's the first adult beverage you're going to drink at a bar? Great question. It depends on the environment. Now, obviously, first time out after the pandemic, I'm sure everyone's going to be all wild and rowdy. And, you know, it's there's different types of drinks. It's going to be a party. Yeah. There's different types of drinks for different types of occasions. But I don't know. Uh, I mean, I could go to my classic gin and tonic, but I say that as a 26-year-old now. By the time this ends, I'm going to be like 45. So I think my drink preferences might change. So I, I'd say, uh, I don't know. I'd, I'd probably go with a gin and tonic, but I'll probably have a couple of shots first. Expedite the process. Catch up for lost yeah. time. Yeah, for sure. What, what are you, uh, what's on tap for you? Well, you know, someone tells me uh, it's going to be a, it's going to be a party. It's going to be, big, it's going to be a fun time. It's going to be some dancing and uh, you know, whatever you dance, you can't, it's going to be hard to carry out an open cup. You know, someone might bump into you and then you spill it. And then all of a sudden it's your fault. Right. Even, even if, even <laughs> if you didn't, you know, spill it intentionally, it's like a turnover, no matter what you get credited with it on the box score. Right. Fault. But uh, <laughs> yeah, if there's dancing, usually it's a, a bottled beer of some sort. So that way it's just easy to have. 
But uh, if not, I think it would have to be Hennessy and Coke. Shoutouts to Jennifer San Juan for putting me on that last year, last summer. Hennessy and Coke. Never had that mix. Yeah, I never I've, had it I've, either. I've, until... I've had both individually. But yeah. <laughs> oh, it's a it's a beautiful mix. It's a beautiful mix. Might uh, might try that out myself and practice my bartending skills. I don't. <laughs> But yeah, no, there will definitely be some dancing, so it'll be some sort of bottled beverage, probably. Right, and that's a good call. That's a good call. Yeah, because the, the open cup policy. Yeah, that's a that's a great point with that whole thing. Yeah. It's always your call. Yeah, exactly. Someone bumps into you, and then you spill it on them by accident because they bumped into you, and then they look at you like you just robbed them in broad daylight. <laughs> they ruined their entire <laughs> life. And even and even if a nice person bumps into you, it's like, oh, sorry, dude, I'm really sorry. And then next thing you know, look, your whole drink's gone. It's like, oh, well, so much for that then. It's yeah. a lose-lose. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. You can't have it on the dance floor. Or unless there's a, an expert move that I'm, I'm not, don't know about. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening to the State of the Nova Nation. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show. You can do so by looking up View Hoops or State of the Nova Nation on your favorite podcast platform. We're on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, Megaphone, Podbean. You got many, many options. Please rate us five star, five star, five star, five star. Helps keep the mothership happy. Also, check back, check off, and at viewhoops.com. We always got the coverage. We have a preview from Dan Reagan. We're going to have a game recap tonight by Erica Marciante. Then some more stuff all throughout the week. So please check back, check off, and we got the NBA Wildcat watches, Daily Arisen. So much stuff. Please follow View Hoops on social media at View Hoops. That's good for Twitter and Instagram. Like our page on Facebook. And you can follow me, Eugene Repay, at Repay 5 I'm Chris Lanziel. Got nothing to promote. Just stay safe, everybody. Nova Nation, have a good Tuesday. Hopefully, we'll be back here on Thursday with some good news to talk about. Let's get those Johnnies tonight. Hoping for a better result this time around. Take care. Enjoy the game. And let's go, Cats.